Shalom, this is Reverend John Ferret, and we are in the Christian Bible study on the Torah, the Gospel according to Moses on the book of Exodus. And we're at session 47. Now, session 47 is dealing again exclusively with the Ten Commandments. We've come to Exodus 20, verses 1 through 17. And we're in episode 14 of lesson 47 of the Gospel according to Moses and the book of Exodus. And we're in part three. And we're going to review what we've learned so far with regards to this commandment, thou shalt not commit adultery. So when we take a look at the Ten Commandments and we put them into the historical context, what we found is in the ancient Near East, adultery in the ancient Near East was a great sin. This is the same thing we read in Genesis 20, verse 9. I did that in the previous lesson. This is where Abraham lied to Abimelech. And he said, no, Sarah's not my wife. And Abimelech has a dream. God comes to Abimelech and said, hey, don't touch this woman. She's married. And Abimelech says to Abraham, don't you understand? This is a great sin, adultery. And again, it just shows, again, the relationship of the Torah to the ancient Near East, because in the ancient Near East, they would use the same phrase. And in the ancient Near East, adultery, a great sin, had everything to do with the preservation of society. Adultery was a sin against the family. The foundation of a good society it had very little to do with sex. I'm going to take a look at the InterVarsity Press Bible background commentary on the Old Testament. And I highly recommend those of you out there who are studying along with me, you need to get these commentaries both on the Old and New Testament. This is called the InterVarsity Press Bible Backgrounds Commentary on the Old Testament and the New Testament. But these are obviously Bible historians and archaeologists and Bible scholars who are looking at the Bible in its historical context. And in here they talk about Egypt, Mesopotamia, Canaan, Canaan. And it talks about the fact that adultery was referred to as the great sin and considered extremely detrimental to society in that it was characteristic of anarchy. The Hittite laws, the Middle Assyrian laws, the Code of Hammurabi all contain legislation against adultery. The protection of the integrity of the family unit was important because the family was the foundation of society. Compromise or collapse of the family meant compromise or collapse of a society. Not dealing with sex primarily, but dealing with the preservation of a good society. Now, in its historical context, we're dealing with Moses leading the Hebrews out of Egypt in 1446 B.C. by the Lord's power. They had assimilated into Egypt, starting at, with the death of Joseph back in Genesis 50, verse 22. That was in 1806 B.C. This is 280 years exactly before Moses was born. Moses was born in 526 B.C. 
And Hebrew, the Hebrews at that time, right after Joseph, for the most part, abandoned their heritage and bought into totally to the Egyptian worldview. So the Hebrews coming out of Egypt and Moses, because they had assimilated into the culture of Egypt, they knew, and in Egypt it was a great sin. And they knew adultery was both. In other words, a married woman having sex with a man who's not her husband, or a married man having sex with a woman not his wife. And it was all, again, related to the family. Thus it seems probable when they heard Yahweh, the Lord, say, Lo Tanaf, no adultery at the mountain of God, the seventh commandment they'll easily remember what it meant in Egypt. God didn't teach them anything new. All he said was, Lotanaf, no adultery. But the difference, however, is huge. In Egypt, in Mesopotamia, the Code of Hammurabi, it was all the law of man. But here we're at the mountain of God, and now it's the law of God. Yahweh, the Lord, now has taken adultery and makes it a law which is part of his covenant with his people. There's no other culture in the ancient Near East that was like this. Commandments 6 through 10. From God himself are commands for his people as related to society. God demands no murder, no adulteries, not, no stealing, no false testimony, and no coveting. And by the way, we'll get to this later. Coveting is not lust. We're going to deal with lust. It does not say in, uh, in commandment number 10, don't lust. We'll get to that. So these commandments 6 through 10 are marks, are marks, are indications on his people, in a covenant with him, that this is how they would live. This is how they would create their society. And so Israel becomes a model for the world. You can read this in Isaiah 42.6 or in Isaiah 49.6. When you read there, Israel has become a light to the nations. That, that, this is what God wants. He wants to be having his people testify of how to live in relationship with him. So in its historical context, back in 1446 BC, Egypt, as far as they're concerned, adultery is a married woman having an affair with a man, not her husband, or a married man having an affair with a woman, not his wife. It's both. And it seems likely that this is how the Hebrews and Moses understood it. And it's very similar to our views today. I believe that in the church, I think most of us would agree that adultery is both cases. Married woman with her, with, with her lover, a man who's not her husband, and a married man in an uh, impure affair with a woman not his wife. God is teaching them, them, then, and us now 
what is an orderly, good, just, and society and what it demands. But on top of that, since Moses wrote the Torah under God's inspiration, Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, and Deuteronomy, it's clear the Hebrews coming out of Egypt heard his word for the first time. And what they heard was Genesis chapter 2, verses 24 and 25. So we'll go to that. Genesis chapter 2, verses 20, uh, 24 and 25. For this reason a man shall leave his mother, leave his father and his mother, and be joined to his wife, and they shall become one flesh. And the man and his wife were both naked and were not ashamed. Now it does not say in the Torah, so it doesn't say this, for this reason a man sh shall leave his father and his mother and be joined to his wives. It doesn't say that to his wife. Or it does not say this, for this reason a man shall leave his father and his mother and be joined to his wife or his wives because of what do they call that? Because of the polygamous nature of the pagan society in those days. So there's the first ones that hear this. The text implies that marriage is between one man and one woman. This is something new. This is given at Sinai. It wasn't given to Abraham. It wasn't given to Jacob. It's not given to anyone in the ancient Near East prior to giving the commandments of the covenant at Sinai. The implication there is marriage is one man, marriage is one man and one woman, and the family's one dad and one mom. It's a concept that's not New Testament only. This is 3,400 years old. God refers to this old concept when he, Jesus, said this in Mark chapter 10, verses 6 through 8. And we read, But from the beginning, this is Jesus' words, But from the beginning of creation God made them male and female. For this reason a man shall leave his father and mother, and the two shall become one flesh, so that they are no longer two, but one flesh. What Therefore God has joined together, let no man separate. Jesus did not say a man will become one flesh with his wives. He didn't say a man will be joined to his wife or his wives. The seventh commandment thus, in its historical context, along with Genesis chapter 2, verses 24 through 25, seems to be a brand new idea taken together. God's agenda that he gives us at the mountain of God. Now in the second podcast on the seventh commandment, we ended by reading Leviticus 20, verse 10. And it states, reading from the New American Standard, If there is a man who commits adultery with another man's wife, one who commits adultery with his friend's wife, the adulterer and the adulteress shall surely be put to death. Now this is troubling, because it's clearly not equitable. You'd say, wait a minute. To be fair, 
What about a married man having sex with a woman, not his wife? What about them? How come they're not executed? Now, in a previous lesson, we talked about an article called Crime and Punishment in Ancient Egypt, and adultery was considered a serious sin, a serious crime. The adulterous wife could be executed depending upon her husband's decision. An adulterous husband, light punishment, if any. So Leviticus 20, verse 10, seems to agree with the Egyptian concept. Interesting. Matter of fact, it seems to agree with how an adulterous woman would be looked about in all the pagan cultures in the ancient Near East. In most of those, the woman would be executed. Now, I checked so many resources, so many books, so many articles. I cannot find one that addresses this difference. In other words, why is it that the adulterous woman with her lover in an adulterous affair, and the man's not her husband, will be executed, but not the other way around? That's number one. Number two, Dennis Prager, in his marvelous Torah commentary on his audio series, not in his book, it's not written in his book, the uh, Rational Bible uh, on the book of Exodus. He doesn't talk about it whatsoever when he's dealing with commandment number seven. But on his audio series, which I highly recommend everybody get because it goes much deeper than his books, he talks about the fact that there, when you take a look at Jewish history, rabbinic history, there does not seem to be one case of an adulterous woman and her lover being ex executed. So, wait a minute. If they can't find one case in the history of Israel where an adulterous woman and her lover, if they can't find one case where they were executed and God said they should be executed, What's going on? Well, first of all, the only way an adulterous woman with her lover can be executed is if there are two witnesses. <laughs> well, you're not going to have two witnesses to say, hey, come and watch us have a, an adulterous affair. That's not going to happen. It's probably going to be kept hidden in secret. Because as I said, I checked resource after resource after resource christian commentaries on the torah on this commandment jewish commentaries and like i said nobody addresses the inequity of this situation and like i said the inequity is in the ten commandments and in the ancient near east an adulterous woman with her lover who's not her husband they will get executed but not the adulterous man with his lover who's not his wife. So perhaps it's this. We're going to be speculating. And again, it's not primarily about the sexual act. We're beginning to see in the ancient Near East, it's about the preservation of society. Preserve the family, the foundation of a good society. We recall in part two, Dr. Johnson's article. She was an Egyptologist at the University of Chicago. 
And she talked about adultery in Egypt was focused on the family. Could it be then that the law of Leviticus 20 verse 10 is connected to the fact that only the woman can have children? You guys, that's the obvious difference going on here. In terms of our society today, you would say, wait a minute, this is not politically correct. The Bible is not politically correct. It says the family is one man and one woman. The family, the marriage is one man and one woman. And it talks about the fact that men do not have children, women do. The Bible says clearly men and women are different. And in the Bible, clearly, neither men or women are above each other. They are equal in God's eyes. But, with regards to the seventh commandment, adultery is about the preservation of society. It's about protecting the family. And what happens if a married woman has an adulterous affair? What if she gets pregnant? Whose kid is it? And that is the major issue. She's got a husband, and now she's got a lover who's not her husband. And the kid, who does the kid belong to? This brings chaos into the society. Not true for an adulterous man. Because an adulterous man who's married and has an adulterous affair with a woman who gets pregnant, the kid is his. He's the dad. Could this be it? Could it be that this law is as is since the woman might get pregnant? Could be. It's an interesting, interesting possibility. It's speculative, I know. And I invite your feedback. Invite your feedback in the sense that you could actually email me and let me know what you think. Now let's turn to another concept, and this is brand new in this lesson. And it's a concept in the church that the church adds to the words of the Bible. They add meaning to the words of the seventh commandment. And their meaning is not biblical. The seventh commandment reads, low tenaf, no adultery. But you're going to hear things like this at one Christian website by Martin Collins in Bible study. He goes through about the seventh commandment, etc., etc., and, and he says this, in principle, this commandment covers all forms of illicit sex, including fornication, homosexuality, bestiality, and pedophilia. Uh, homosexuality and bestiality are already Torah laws, so it's got nothing. <laughs> they can't be related here because we've got other Torah laws on this. There's another one. The Seventh Commandment for Teens and Young People. Again, there's an, really an, an extensive, uh, wonderful article about this. But again, this Christian says, as with each commandment, the strongest terms are used. But all, sexually, all sexual impurity and that which promotes or leads to it is forbidden by this commandment. But the Bible doesn't say that. It just says, lo tanaf, no adultery. Another one, protecting the marital relationship 
in another website, again, another church website, Christian website, and in there, again, page after page article, it says the command not to commit adultery covers, in principle, all varieties of sexual immorality. They go on to say categorically condemns all forms of sexual immorality, including premarital sex and homosexual relations. Now, premarital sex, for us in the 21st century, we call that fornication. And we're going to find in Lesson 4 that fornication is not even in the Bible. Wait, wait till you see this. There's no law or command in the Bible anywhere condemning sex outside of marriage, premarital sex. Where is the church getting this? And that is key. Now, I agree. Homosexuality, bestiality, pedophilia, premarital sex, what we call fornication, all sin. I agree with that. But the seventh commandment doesn't say it. It says low to enough. No adultery. Does not mention other sexual sin. However, there are Torah laws against bestiality. There are Torah laws against homosexuality. So, so why does the church say it's included here in the seventh commandment? It doesn't say that. Now, here's a key thing that we need to take a look at. This is God's Word. And God inspired Moses to write this in Deuteronomy chapter 4, verse 2. You shall not add to the word which I'm commanding you, nor take away from it, that you may keep the commandments of the Lord your God which I am commanding you. When we take a look at Dr. John Kareed's Torah commentary, when we take a look at specifically Deuteronomy verse 2, so this is an, a, a Christian Egyptologist, this is a Christian, a Christian uh, archaeologist, he is a great theologian, he is well known, and here he's commenting on Deuteronomy chapter 4 verse 2. The law given to Moses is the word of God that is not to be added to or subtracted from. It is immutable. And yet, the church is basically saying that the seventh commandment is basically condemning all sexual immorality. And it even includes premarital sex. Sex of an, of an, man, of an unmarried man and woman. And we, like I said, we call that fornication. Like I said, wait till we get to lesson four. Word fornication is not even in the Bible. On top of that, there is no law in the Old Testament or New Testament specifically forbidding sex between an unmarried man or an unmarried woman. Now, we're going to take a look at this deeper. Now, the church is right. Homosexuality, pedophilia, sex outside of marriage, premarital sex... A young man and a young woman, Christian, are in love and they happen to have sex before they committed a sin. I agree with it. But the church is wrong because the seventh commandment does not address all sexual sin. Indeed, premarital sex is sin. But where did they get this from? Where did this notion come from? Interested? Well, I'm going to see you in part four. We're going to take a look at this quite definitely in a deeper way. 
So until then, let's pray. Yevarek Chenu Adonai Veshmarkenu Yair Adonai Panav Alenu Vekunakenu Yisa Adonai Panav Alenu Vyasem Lanu Shalom Veshem Yeshua Adonenu Amen. May the Lord bless us and keep us. May the Lord make his face to shine upon us and be gracious to us. May the Lord lift up his countenance upon us and may he give us his shalom. In the name of Jesus our Lord. Amen.